Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, this is Louise Sorrell. I'm talking to TV Confidential. And you should tune in because they're really wonderful. Ed Robertson, welcoming you to this week's edition of TV Confidential, radio talk show about television that wishes you and yours all the best in the new year and beyond. Our second hour this week will include a return appearance by our friend Lee Purcell. Lee Purcell, the actress, all of you know for her roles in Big Wednesday, Valley Girl, Mr. Majestic, Stir Crazy, Carol of the Bells, and other film and TV productions. Lee Purcell, also one of the driving forces behind the Hollywood Radio Players, a troupe of actors who perform reenactments of classic radio shows to help raise funds for the motion picture and television fund. There's a brand new production of Hollywood Radio Players available this week as this program airs. We'll tell you more about it when Lee Purcell joins us in our second hour. If you'll stay tuned for that, our second hour will also include a conversation with Lee E. Cox. Lee Cox, the actor most of you know for his recurring role as rookie police officer Aaron Castor in the Emmy Award-winning HBO series The Wire. Lee Cox can also be seen this month in Snap. Snap, a new anthology series that will remind you both of The Twilight Zone and the British sci-fi anthology series Black Mirror. We'll tell you more about Snap when Lee Cox joins us also in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. As well, our first hour will include a tribute to Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters, the pioneering newswoman who, long before hosting The View, broke ground for women in television, first as co-host of the Today Show, then as the co-anchor of the ABC Evening News and co-host of 2020. Barbara Walters passed away this past Friday, December 30th, at the age of 93. We have three segments in the works, each of which touch on various aspects of Barbara Walters' life and career. We will play those for you when we pay tribute to Barbara Walters later on in this hour. In the meantime, Greg Airbar is with us to help us open up the program. Greg Airbar, author of the forthcoming Hanna-Barbera, the recorded history, which is due out in 2024, if all goes well, although I imagine it will be available for pre-order much sooner than that. Greg ordinarily looks at DVD, Blu-ray streaming titles, but today we're going to shift gears a little bit. It is the second week of the new year as this program airs, and if you're like most of us, you probably received a few gift cards over the holidays. Amazon gift cards. Greg has some neat ideas for how to spend those Amazon gift cards. They burn a hole in my pocket, I want to tell you. They, not, a, not a couple of days go by, and it's like, oh, I know what I'm going to use these for. Usually when I open them, like, oh, I know what I'm going to use these for. <laughs> well, we want to give you some suggestions for when you open them and you go, oh, and that'll make your, your friends happy too. Or as what was it? Uh, SNL used to call it Looks at Books, and David Letterman had his bookmobile. Okay. Well, this is our, our own special version of this. Can we start, though? Can I make you blush, Ed? And can we start with the, the new editions of your books? If you must. This is not the reason why uh, we're doing this segment, but sure. Well, you... yeah, but Ed, we don't talk about, you know, you're so busy 
interviewing the stars and the, the best and the brightest that we that the camera doesn't the, the camera doesn't often get turned <laughs> <laughs> the camera never gets turned on me because there is no camera because there is no camera but there is no what, camera in radio no <laughs> it, let's turn the let's turn the ribbon mic we'll turn the uh, microphone on it yeah and talk about because because you've written two extraordinarily books that have so stood the test of time that they are bigger and better and more wonderful than ever well, uh, if, if you insist, uh, uh, calendar year 2022, which we're wrapping up as we record this conversation, is the, what is it, the 40, it's the 65th anniversary of the premiere of Maverick on the air, and our friends at Black Pond Press reissued Maverick Legend of the West Revised 3rd Edition, Everything you want to know about the history of Maverick on television, how it came to be, the internal fights that Roy Huggins uh, went through with Warner Brothers over, over over the creative rights of the show. This is back in the days of the early days of television where uh, studios such as Warner Brothers, if they were going to do television, they were going to do uh, television shows of properties they already owned, either as movies or as books. And again, this is the early first 10, 12 years of television as we know it. Warner Brothers refused to pay any writer, independent writer, a created by credit because that would be royalties in perpetuity for when shows went into reruns and any future anticipated adaptations of it. And so the legs that Warner Brothers took to keep Roy Huggins from earning his full creative property, you know, entitlement as the creator of the Maverick property, which was the which was arguably the most successful of the Warner Brothers shows that came about in the 1950s, early 1960s, because Maverick, in in many respects, laid the groundwork for formulas such as 77 Sunset Strict and, and all and, and all the other shows that Warner Brothers were in development. One way or the, or the other were, went back to Roy Huggins. So the backstory of that is, is in Maverick, Legend of the West, third edition. And there's new information that I discovered when I updated this a couple of years ago, one of which is Robert Colbert, who we know mostly from the Time Tunnel show. He was a contract player with Warner Brothers. And when the lawsuit that James Garner filed in 1960 went his way and freed him from Warner Brothers and freed him from any obligation to doing Maverick. Warner Brothers plucked Robert Colbert from whatever show he was doing at the studio and cast him as the heretofore never mentioned third Maverick brother, Brent, who was dressed like Brett and kind of looked like Brett but basically did whatever Maverick Strip was in development at the time. Colbert only did two shows late in the fourth season of Maverick, and then Maverick was picked up for a fifth year, but Robert Colbert went on to do other stuff for the studio. Never did another Maverick. The heretofore unknown third brother Brent Maverick therefore came and went after only two episodes. What I didn't know is that... When Maverick was renewed for the fifth season, the original plan was to incorporate Colbert into that fifth season. They had at least three shows in development, all of which were episodes featuring Robert Colbert as Brent as they were getting ready for the spring of uh, 1961. And one way or another, they decided not to do a full 26. They only decided to do 13 with Jack Kelly. 
I did not know that. That's new information. That is uh, one of the new bits of information that's included in Maverick Legend of the West Revised 3rd Edition, available through Black Font Press. And it's a great time to uh, watch the show while reading it, too, because it's on it's on MeTV. Yeah, and it's on MeTV. Um, it's on. It's also available on some of the other other streaming services. I also re-updated 45 Years of the Rockford Files Revised Third Edition, also available Black Pond Press as well as Amazon. Both the third edition of Maverick and the third edition of Rockford features a lot more interviews with people that I didn't have access to at the time I originally did the book, but uh, I was able to incorporate them, and it's just it just adds to a richer, fuller history. There's also a new interview with James Garner that I was not aware of. My friend James Zirk, who was a uh, he was an accomplished author, he wrote an excellent biography on actress Peg Entwistle and the history of the Hollywood sign. He was a fabulous researcher. Uh, James passed away about a year ago. One of his last great accomplishments, he found this. Th- this is what happens. You know this, Greg. This is what happens when you do w- when you're researching one thing, you stumble onto something else. Oh yes. And he was doing some work for uh, Jim's daughter, Gigi. He was looking at one thing, and he, he discovered this recorded interview that Jim did around 65, 66, in which he talks at length about his years on Maverick and what he went through with the lawsuit in 1960-61. Excerpts from that conversation are now included in both the revised third editions of both the Rockford Files and Maverick Legend of West, both of which are available through Black Pond Press. Well, the neat thing about these these two shows, that they're not only really great shows, but they are evergreen, and they're very accessible. They're not hard to find. They're not obscure. And they're fun. If you like old television, if you like old movies from the Golden Age, if you like old radio from the Golden Age, a lot of radio stars, a lot of film stars made the transition from radio and film to television. And so you will come up with a lot of great character actors like Gage Clark or Robert Carycart who, who appear in, in all of these shows, and, and they're a lot of fun. Oh, Gage Clark was, you know, he had a line, I love the quote, in Pollyanna. He played Mr. Merg, the mortician, when uh, Agnes Moorhead, it was Mrs. Snow, and she's buying the lining for her coffin, and he's... He's caressing the coffin handles and, and, you know, picking out the ultimate coffin for her because she's the hypochondriac of the town. And uh, Pollyanna keeps, like, ruining the sale because she doesn't want Mrs. Snow to die. And he's, like, so irritated. And he says, why don't you go outside and play? (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, a great character actor can take a line and just make it soar, you know? Just so good, just so good, and and James Garner's performances just they transcend time because he plays a guy. He plays the guy who could be in any era. Well, what's fun about both the Brett Maverick and Jim Rockford characters? My girlfriend and I are almost finished with Better Call Saul. We're in the fifth or sixth season as, as we record this conversation. In many ways, that antihero that. Um, yeah. that con man who's not a totally bad guy. He's not exactly a con man with a heart of gold, but he's a con man with what we would call situational ethics, where as long 
as the situation comes out to be a positive and nobody gets hurt and the bad guys get got and, you know, justice wins out at the end and the con man, Maverick, gets what he wants, everything's good. That's situational ethics. Well, that is basically the Saul Goodman slash Jimmy McGill character. It's taken to another level because Maverick stayed clear from bad guys. Ma- Maverick stayed clear from cartels and people that could get him killed because Maverick's goal, Maverick's real goal in life was to make a lot of money and live to be 97 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's basically Jimmy's goal, but, you know, sometimes Jimmy's background gets the best of him and he ends up uh, running a con, you know, he, he, he can't help not running a con. Another difference is Maverick liked his freedom, and Jim Rockford, to the same way, liked his freedom. He, he did not want to be tied down to marriage, and he did not want to be tied down to any one person because that could compromise his freedom and his ability to up and leave at, 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 at the drop of a hat. Whereas one of the fun things about Better Call Saul is watching the relationship between Jimmy and Kim Wexler played by uh, Rhea Seaborn, who is starts off as sort of this, this straight-laced corporate lawyer who represents everything that Jimmy McGill is not, and yet somehow there is an indelible bond between the two of them. And as Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk, the star of Better Call Saul, has said on, in at least one other interview, the name of the show is Better Call Saul, but the real show should be called Who the Hell is Kim? Because it's what we learn about Kim. I mean, in the early on, we don't know a lot about Tim. Kim is very tight-lipped about her background. She doesn't reveal any more than she has to. And in the course of the show, we begin to see why. And in the last uh, two seasons especially, we really see Kim's character come to light. And uh, there's a lot more to her than we realize and she understands Jimmy better than anybody else, and she will go out on a limb to protect Jimmy more than anybody else. Yeah, she's brilliant. So it's, it's a great character, great chemistry. It's like a one of those great screen couples, really. When you see the two of them putting their heads together, it's like it's magic. You know? And in many respects, the genesis of the Jimmy McGill character can be seen in characters like Brett Maverick and Jim Rockford. And so you, if you pick up a copy of Maverick Legend of the West 3rd Edition or 45 Years of the Rockford Files Revised 3rd Edition, you'll understand why. Both those books available at Black Palm Press. Greg Arabar is with us with a few ideas on how to spend the Amazon gift cards, other holiday gift cards that you may have received over the holidays. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. So we'll move along to books that aren't written by... <laughs> to the other shelf. Yes, we're, yes, we're yes, this is the end of the self-promotion part of our program. Well, you know what? Let me, let, well, while we're promoting ourselves, let yeah. me promote the book that people don't know about that isn't Mousetracks, that hardly ever gets mentioned, and that's um, that's Inside the Whimsy Works. Oh, but, um, oh, but by uh, the Jimmy... The, the Jimmy Johnson The book. Jimmy Johnson yeah. story. It's a, it's a good book. Yeah, that's one of the first memoirs that was ever written about working at Disney because people weren't writing about Disney and animation and stuff in the seventies. And he, uh, he had an extraordinary career for, for 37 years and he wrote his memoir in 1975 and then he passed away a few months later 
and it sat in the archives untouched. So after the Mousetracks came out, we well, we rewrote Mousetracks. We used that as a guide and as kind of the skeleton of the story. And then uh, Didier Ghez, who is the president of the Hyperion Historical Alliance, said, why don't we take that and um, edit it into a book? And with the help of his children, it turned into quite a story because this guy started out when they were making Snow White. And he walked, went from the uh, traffic delivery department, you know, riding around the studio on a bicycle, to working in the insurance department. And he worked on the newsletter. He was a budding writer. He wanted to write, work for the story department. He worked in the merchandise. He worked, and this guy developed things. He innovated. He brought direct marketing to Disney, those slipcase books that you got in the 50s and 60s. He, but more than anything else, he established the Walt Disney Music Company because there was no music company before the mid-40s. You know, Disney didn't own the early songs. They had to buy most of them back, and some they never bought back, and including the scores to Snow White, Dumbo, and Pinocchio. They do not own those songs. They don't own When You Wish Upon a Star. A lot of that stuff is in the book, and it's about all the business behind-the-scenes stuff, all the, the people he dealt with, all the people he knew when he was dining in the rotunda, you know, in the cafeteria, in the executive place, you know, dining with Peter Ustinov, Tommy Steele, Suzanne Plachette. Um, he said of the of the beautiful face and the salty tongue. <laughs> you know, um, what it was like to be hanging out with these people, what it was like to work, and then how he and Tutti Camerata developed this, this sound for the record company and Annette Funicello's magnificent career that launched pretty much what, you know, not only the careers of the Sherman Brothers and Mary Poppins, but what led to Walt Disney World and how he worked on Disneyland and Disney World, you know, attractions. And this this gentleman had a pivotal role a lot more than, than people think. Cool book, not a long book, easy to find, very fascinating. Also got a... Uh, and a great a way to use your Amazon gift card or uh, Barnes & Noble gift card, which it is the first of the year. And if we're lucky, a lot of us, will, you know, our friends will give us gift cards to spend. And if you want to, if you love to read, we're, we're giving you suggestions on how to spend your Amazon gift cards this month. Yeah, there's another even more obscure one called the Cartoon Music Book. Is cartoon that the green? It, it's, it's got a green. I think I have that. It's a green cover. cover. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Edited by uh, Daniel Goldmark. And that is a series of essays about all these different great composers of cartoons from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Hoyt Curtin from Hanna-Barbera and Scott Bradley from MGM and uh, the great Carl Stalling from uh, Warner Brothers and who they were, what they did. And I did a chapter on Maury Law, since Rankin-Bass is kind of top of mind uh, during the holidays, mm -hmm. that one of the few interviews he actually did. And then I did a discography at the end. Hardly anybody knows this book is out there, but it's still in print. Then there's uh, another book that Daniel Goldmark wrote called Tunes from the Tunes that goes into great detail about Scott Bradley and uh, Carl Stalling. Fascinating. You know, what these people were like. Scott Bradley was proud to write cartoon music and he did speeches about it and he wanted it to be a new art form and you know when you watch these six minute cartoons and you, you know what they put into them it gives you a whole new meaning so that's another great book greg airbar is with us a few ideas on how to spend your amazon gift card barnes noble gift cards other gift cards you may have received over the holidays we'll have more suggestions with greg at the end of our second hour we hope you stay tuned for that in the meantime we will pay tribute to barbara walters when we come back on TV Confidential.
be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.